Hey guys, good morning. Uh, my name's Ollie. Uh, I'm usually over in youth. It's great to be with you guys this morning. And uh, I hope you've had a great weekend. So, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, um, Susie, um, well, before Michael Murphy was here last week, Susie and John have started a bit of a series um, called Life with Jesus. And we've basically been looking at a few different aspects of um, following Jesus and how basically, as followers of Jesus, how we can live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And so Susie, um, a few weeks ago, looked about how as we come and see Jesus, then we go and tell others. And then John, a couple of weeks ago, looked at abiding in Jesus and the, like the, how everything we do flows from that. And so this morning, I wanted to talk a little bit about how um, following Jesus plays out in the places that we live. Um, sorry, I'm a little out of breath. I basically desperately needed the toilet before I came up here, so I had to sprint. Um, so sorry about that. But... <laughs> It's probably not the thing to share, but um, so I just want to jump straight in and um, share a question with you guys that, um, that I heard a couple of months ago in, in a podcast, um, and it was one of those slightly annoying questions that like niggled its way into my brain, um, and then I've never really been able to, to forget about it, so now I just want to kind of do the same to you guys, if that's okay. So the question is this, would your neighbours miss you if you moved away? Or would, would they notice if you moved? I'll give you guys just a couple of seconds to, to have a think about that. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that question had a funny, a funny effect on me. Because at first I was like, yeah, of course they'd miss me. Like, I'm a great neighbor. Um, I don't listen to my music too loudly. Um, whenever I see them in the street, I like politely nod or like say hello as you do. Um, and I put my bins out properly, which is an important part of being a good neighbor. Um, but then the more that I thought about it, the more I thought like, wait a minute, which ones of my neighbors would actually miss me? Which then kind of actually forced me to think about how well I know my neighbors. And before long, I basically came to the conclusion that although a few of them might notice if I left, they probably wouldn't think too long about it. And obviously, that, that wasn't necessarily the, my favorite revelation that I've ever had, but it's actually been a really good thing, because it's got me thinking about how, how could I be a better neighbor? Like, how could I get to know them more? Like, what does it actually look like to be a follower of Jesus in the way that we treat our neighbors? Um, or a better way to phrase it might be, if Jesus was living in your house, or in your flat, or in your area, how do you think he would do it? How would he be a neighbor? And living in England makes this a bit of a challenge sometimes, doesn't it? Because we live in the kind of society where if someone walks up to you in the street um, and starts talking to you, you assume they probably want something and you kind of like skirt past them, make an excuse, keep your head down. Or if, like me, you've been on the tram at rush hour, um, you kind of like squeeze onto it and personal space very much quickly becomes a thing of the past. And unfortunately, if you're about my height, you're kind of like in someone's armpit as they're holding, um, holding on. And you look around and everybody has their phone out and their headphones in. And so then obviously you do the same thing. You get your headphones out and, and put your phone on. And, and I think lots of us do ignore each other a little bit sometimes, don't we? Not necessarily intentionally, but I know that I do. And so it's no surprise that in England at the moment we've got a bit of a problem with loneliness. There was a loneliness minister, I think, appointed last year or something like that. And um, the government put a report together on the effects of loneliness. And they found that apparently loneliness can be as harmful to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's, that's what they decided. And 
And so we find ourselves in this situation where we've basically become more and more um, individually focused as a society and removed from each other. And that's all kind of come at the expense of genuine community, hasn't it? And so the problem for us here today is that the Bible's actually pretty clear. Like we, We're designed for relationship. And we're not just meant to go and work hard, come back to a nice house with nice things on our own. Like We're meant to build communities um, where people can trust each other and where there's this like, sense of community um, for us to contribute towards and to be a part of. And you know, this feels particularly challenging for, for me right now because um, Rhea and I, we're looking to try and buy a house. Um, and this thought process has kind of thrown a spanner in the works a little bit because there's no getting away from the fact that this should affect the house that we buy. Like with every house that we look at, which now feels like it's been about a million, um, every time we need to remind ourselves, you know what, this is a priority. This isn't just like an afterthought. And if and when we do move house, the only people that are really going to determine what kind of impact we have on the neighborhood that we live in is us. Like it's not going to be anybody else. And there are quite a few different places in the Bible where Jesus talks about um, loving your neighbor. You probably have heard a few different ones, but... The one I want to look at today is in Luke chapter 10. Um, If you've got your Bibles with you, we'll be coming to it in a minute. But it's often referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I think it's worth saying from the very get-go that a lot of us in this room will probably have heard it or some of it before. And I say that because I think with something as well-known as this passage, there is actually the danger for all of us, including myself, that we'll kind of completely miss what Jesus is getting at. Because in some ways, we've probably already decided that we know what is coming. And so... In the the nicest way possible, I guess I wanted to throw a challenge out to all of us today to actually try and hear this with fresh ears and see, like, well, what is Jesus getting at? And maybe even ask yourself the question at the end of it, in light of what Jesus has said, like, how might I need to live differently because of it? So um, we're looking in Luke, which is one of the the books that talks about, like, the life and teaching of Jesus. Um, And it's in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It will come up on the screens. Um, It's quite a long passage, so I'm just going to read through it. So, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And where he, when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Go and do, oh, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So to recap, um, it's obviously quite a long passage. Jesus 
agrees that loving God and loving your neighbor are basically two of the most important things that you can do. And then um, this teacher basically asks him, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus then responds by telling him this story, um, picks out this guy called a Samaritan and tells this guy to be more like him. Okay, so that's, that's kind of what happened. And this story, I think, is really important because even though it's clearly in a very different context to our own, we don't come across probably many Samaritans or donkeys, but if Jesus has just said that the two most important things that you can do is love God and love your neighbor, and then he actually explains a little bit of what that actually looks like, then surely this has to be worth some of our time. We, we need to think about it. Like how do you and I love our neighbors? How do we make sure that that phrase, love your neighbor, isn't just like this abstract idea that, that we think about? And there are two things in this, um, this story that I kind of want to pull out of it. They're going to come up on the screen. Um, so Jesus makes your neighbor everybody, and Jesus also makes your neighbor somebody. So the first, the first little bit, Jesus makes your neighbor everybody. So I'm going to keep this point fairly short, but the first thing that Jesus does with this parable, which I think probably a lot of us will have heard before, is that Jesus, essentially, he makes everybody our neighbor. So your neighbor isn't just the person that, that lives next to you. It's actually far wider than that, so wide that it, it would include your enemy. And so that's because for the, for the Jewish teacher at the time, the guy that asked Jesus about this, the Samaritan, the guy that ends up actually being the hero of the story, he would have been one of the people that this Jewish guy would have disliked the most. Like There'd been about 700 years of racial tension and, and warfare and general hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. So this Jewish teacher probably had a very specific view of who was and who wasn't deserving of his love and his help. And the Samaritan wasn't, basically. And so Jesus wanted to completely challenge that view. And obviously, most of us in this room probably wouldn't necessarily say that we have an, an enemy or someone that we've got 700 years of tension with, but we may have someone who just at the mention of their name, we feel ourselves getting a bit angry or, or irritated or somebody that we really feel like has mistreated us. Essentially, the person who, who deep down, we probably don't actually really want to love them. We don't think they deserve it. But maybe you can specifically think of someone right now who actually you just find it hard to think, think of positively at all. But what Jesus does here is he actually makes everybody our neighbor, like every single person on the planet, including the person that you and me might have just thought of, is actually the object of the Father's love. Like nobody is exempt from that, no matter what we might think of them. And, and so actually now as followers of Jesus, we're the representatives of that love. We're the ones who actually have the responsibility to live that out and to model it. And so the neighbor that, that you and me are called to love is the same person or colleague or family member that actually we would really struggle to love, like it wouldn't be an easy thing. Because no one is undeserving of his love and we have to live that out. And I feel like generally, we, we probably all know that, don't we? That's, that's probably not something that, that you haven't heard before. You may have heard the parable of the Good Samaritan explained before, and you know that it basically means, loving your neighbor means like being nice to everyone. That's essentially kind of what it means. But that's pretty hard to live out, isn't it? Like loving everyone is such a big mandate that it just becomes a little bit overwhelming. 
Like how, I don't even know how you would begin to live that out. And the problem is, when we make our neighbor basically anyone, it becomes a little bit of a vague idea. Um, and Jay Pathick, he's a vineyard pastor in the, in the US. He wrote a book called The Art of Neighboring, all about this. And he makes this exact point. He says, when we aim for everything, we hit nothing. So when we insist we're neighbors with everybody, often we end up being neighbors with nobody. And I think that's true, isn't it? It's hard for us to actually live this out, and so we need to figure out, okay, like, how do we actually do this? How can this affect the way that we live? And so if we go back to, to that passage from a minute ago, um, to the bit where Jesus actually makes um, his main point um, towards the end, he asked the guy who had asked him the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So if you, if you notice in that bit, Jesus didn't actually tell this guy to go and love his enemy. Like that isn't actually what he tells him to do here. He tells him to go and be more like him. He tells him to go and do the thing that, that his enemy had done. And so what actually did, did the Samaritan do? Um, essentially, he was the only one who did anything. He just did something. The other two that passed by, it wasn't necessarily that they like, kicked him as they were walking by or they're doing anything negative. They just didn't do anything. And he was the only one that actually chose to do something. He had mercy on this guy. And actually, that's what Jesus comes to define as a good neighbor. And the result of him doing something, just something, was that actually one man had his life changed. And so the implication of what Jesus is saying is that when we do show mercy, when we love the people directly in front of us, someone could have their life completely changed. And so on the one hand, Jesus widens our neighbor to everybody, but then he also narrows it to somebody, doesn't he? Like there, there has to be someone that we're like a real human being that we're being a neighbor to, otherwise we're not really being a neighbor to anyone, are we? And so if we have to begin somewhere, like if we have to learn to love the people directly in front of us, um, then what better way to begin than with our actual neighbors, like with the people that, that are directly in front of us, to take loving your neighbor at face value, and uh, we're talking about the people that maybe um, live, you share a wall with them in your terraced house, or you live opposite them on the other side of the road, or the cul-de-sac, or um, the flat next to you like loving your, your actual neighbor. And I'm sure many of you guys are already doing this and are great at this, but there's a couple of people um, in the church that I know that are great at this. Um, one of them, um, they moved to Beeston quite a while back um, and began to get to know their neighbors a little bit. And then after a while, she noticed that her neighbor wasn't really able to look after her garden. And so I was in her small group at the time, so she, she dragged us along and got us all around to completely sort out her neighbor's garden. And it was in a pretty bad state. We're not just talking about like mowing the grass and pulling a few weeds. It was some quite hard work for us. But, but we did that just as something practical, I guess, to help out a neighbor. And it's not that anything amazing happened all of a sudden off the back of that. But it just opened the door a little bit wider to a friendship. And so over the years, they continued to get to know each other and that kind of thing. And then at one point, her neighbor ends up getting really ill and, and going to hospital. And, and so she's able to, to go to hospital to support her neighbor, to offer to pray for her, and just be a friend to her. And so I guess that is an example of what it looks like to, to love your neighbor over the long haul. It's, it's not a quick thing. It takes time. 
Well, the other person that is great at this um, is Jude. You may know Jude. She, she works here. And Jude, basically, as soon as she moved house, she just made the decision, I'm going to have an impact on the area that I, I, I live in. Um, not because I want anything back, but just because I want to show the love of Jesus to the people that I live near. And also, I just want to make friends. I want to have some good friends on my road. So within weeks of moving in, she made a load of... T- Jude's a really good cook. She made a load of um, tiffin and cake and stuff like that and attached invitations to a party with it and then walked down a road and... Um, delivered it to about 50 different houses and chatted with people as she was going. And then when it came around, 25 people turned up and it just began something from there. And from that point on, any time there was a reason to have a bit of a party, Christmas, Easter, summer barbecue, she invited people over and, and now just has really good friendships with the people on her street. So much so that her neighbours said this to her. They said, we really want more of this. Until you moved onto our street, it didn't feel like this. And now we have real community. But how amazing is that just because she chose to try and make a difference? And because Jude was so intentional with it, and she made a real effort with it, she has really been able to get, get to know her neighbours. And that means that she's been able to help them out when they need help, or for some of them to support them when they're grieving. Or just generally offer friendship because she's taken the time to get to know them first. And one thing that, that Jude said to me is she said this, this is all about looking for opportunities and being intentional with them. They don't just happen. You need to choose to make the time and stop for people even when it's inconvenient. And you know, with both those stories, the, the thing to take away from them is that actually we're only going to be able to be great neighbours and to represent Jesus in our streets or neighbourhoods or whatever when we've actually made the effort to get to know people in the first place. Like, you can only... You can only meet someone's needs when you actually know what their needs are, can't you? Like, it's actually quite hard to help someone that you don't know at all. And so this is, applies to me as well, but I hate to break the bad news, but there isn't like a six-week program to being like an amazing neighbor where you can just like come to a class here and we'll, we'll explain it to you or, or anything like that. We just have to choose to make the time, to carve out time, to put them ahead of ourselves, to, to make the most of opportunities. And then maybe at some point further down the line, we'll get the opportunity to show them mercy in the way that Jesus talks about. But it's probably not going to happen super quickly. And so, just as a little um, experiment, uh, just for a minute, and don't worry, you're not going to have to like, jump up or anything like that, but in your minds right now, just have a think about the people that live closest to you. So, uh, maybe to your left, to your right, opposite you, anything like that. Have a, try and picture them in your head. If you don't know them, that's okay. Just like picture their, their face, or maybe even just the front of the door. And what if when, when Jesus said to love your neighbor as you love yourself, one of the main ways to actually live that out was to love those people? Like, forget about everyone else for now, but just to love those people that you've just pictured in your head. And to help us all out with this as, um, as much as possible, this next bit is slightly controversial. Um, there's a handout. I was expecting a bit more of an ooh than that. Yeah, <laughs> there's a handout. There we go. Yeah, that's right. You're excited. So um, don't worry, we're not in school. Um, But in a minute, you're going to get um, a handout. They're on the end of your rows. Don't worry about passing them along for now. I'll explain what we're going to do, and then we'll have a little break. But it's going to come up on the screen. And the aim of this is not that it's a test or anything like that. I've realized that in hindsight, it looks exactly like a test um, (laughs) with A, B, and C and some blank lines. But I promise you that was not my intention. This is not a test. Um, No one else is going to look at your piece of paper. This is purely 
for you, okay? So the idea is that this helps us as practically as possible think about this. Take some of these ideas that Jesus has given us and be like, right, how can I live it out, okay? So that square in the... Oh, if we could leave it up for a second, that'd be great. That square in the middle is you, um, so there'd be a little square to draw your house. Just to clarify, there aren't going to be any prizes for prettiest house. That's meant to be a really quick part of the exercise, so um, maybe quickly draw your house in a minute. And then... Um, and again, this isn't, this isn't, the aim isn't to be able to fill out all of those. It's for each of us to gauge where am I currently at with this and how could I take a tiny step forward. And so if you've only got three neighbours, because the idea is they're the eight people that live closer to you, if only you've got three, that is absolutely fine. So um, A, the top line, I think another little slide is going to come up, um, is just to fill in their, their name, okay? That's it. Um, if you don't know it, that's okay. Just put a question mark. Don't write like creepy guy or cat lady or... <laughs> Or anything like that. If you don't know it, maybe it's write the number of their house if you know that. That's it. B is like basic information. So a few facts that you couldn't get from just like nodding at them across the street. Okay, so maybe what they do for a job, hobbies, stuff like that. Um, and then C is any in-depth information. So basically things that you could only have got if you've got a relationship with them. So maybe um, their family situation, what they think of faith, ways that you could help them, something like that. And the idea with this is that wherever you get to with it, that in the next month or two or three, that you could just fill in one thing that you currently couldn't, maybe for just one of those people. Um, like, if you don't know their names, then great. Your job is actually really simple. Over the next few months, your only aim, and this is just from me, um, is, is to get to know their name. That's job number one, okay? If you don't know A, fill in A. If you don't know B, then maybe next time you're putting the bins out and you see them, just leave a little bit more time just to chat with them and say hello and ask them a little bit about how they are for each of us to just take a tiny step forward with this. So um, we're going to have about a three-minute break now. So they're under the chairs of the people on the end of the aisle. So if you could pass them along, you should have some pens. If in a minute one hasn't got to you, stick your hand up maybe, and someone from the host team will, will try and give one. But um, there should be loads dotted around. So we're just going to have about three minutes, and then we'll come back together. Maybe we can come back together. If you haven't finished like writing out what you know, don't worry about it. The idea is you take it home and can carry on filling it in there. So don't worry about it. You might want to put it down for now, um, just because otherwise I won't be able to see any of you. So, um, so like I say, don't worry about it if you didn't get a chance to finish it. But hopefully, that has got you thinking a little bit about the people that you live closest to and, and what, like, who they are and what you could do for them. And the thing is with this is it's not really super controversial, is it? Like This isn't this brand new idea, something that's really crazy. In many ways, it's actually quite obvious, but I think the reality is, I don't know about you, but I think we find this quite hard. Like, it doesn't necessarily come really naturally to all of us, but the reason that I'm speaking about this today is because I've actually been really challenged by it. And when I was like, reflecting on it for this, I don't have any like, personal stories to, to share with you guys because actually I haven't really done it that well yet. But in 10 years' time, I do want to look back and be like, you know what? I did actually make an impact on the area that I lived. I did really try to live this teaching of Jesus out. And so I wonder why it is that we, that we do find it quite hard to do this. And there's probably lots of reasons for, for all of us, but I think definitely a big part of the reason is that this obviously involves our homes. And I think for a lot of us, definitely including myself, our homes have actually become the places that, we, that we've shut people out rather than where we've let them in. And I don't know about you, but I genuinely love 
like relaxing in my home. I know um, some people like long walks and doing exciting things out in nature like that. For me, I love films and I love coffee. So um, my home is great. I just love hanging out there. It's a refuge. And I think probably for a lot of us, that is the case to a certain extent. Like we, we go home, we relax, we eat, we watch Netflix, we just hang out there. And those things aren't bad at all. Like, far from it. And what I'm not saying this morning is that all of a sudden your front door needs to be open 24-7 or anything like that. But I know for me, personally, my mindset just needs to change slightly. That, that's what I'm thinking for me. So, like, a good example of how rubbish I am at this with my home is that we, um, we recently had a lodger come and stay with us. And they're a really good friend, and they just needed somewhere to stay for a few weeks. And so we were like, yeah, of course, come and stay. That's not a problem. And... They were honestly great. Like they, as lodgers go, I'm sure they, they were brilliant. But um, for me, this was a bit of a wake-up call because literally from day one, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, the, the evening of day one, I was seriously suffering. Like I, I'd had to sacrifice a whole shelf of our fridge. Um, and we have like a seven-foot massive fridge for the two of us. And so really, that's not that big a deal, but it was, I found it quite hard. And the pots and pans weren't put back in the way that I like the pots and pans to be put back. And I'm really good at putting back pots and pans. I'd open the cupboard and be like, what is this? Um, and just generally, I wasn't able to have my usual level of just like lounging about and watching TV or anything like that. And I remember sitting in my room on that first night, um, just, just feeling really sorry for myself about how tough this all was. And, um, and, just there, and then just coming to the realization of, wow, I am really selfish. And I've turned my home into this place that literally exists to meet my own needs and nobody else's, and there's no room for anything. And it, it was quite a humbling moment for me. My wife was there to help me realize it. But, <laughs> but as much as it's a good thing to relax in your home and to have somewhere that you can go back to relax, I'm not saying it's not. But I think probably there's more to life than just that, isn't there? just literally going home to relax. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are far less controlling than I am, but I think that a good chunk of us, as followers of Jesus, don't necessarily view our homes that differently to how anyone else would view their homes. But what, what if we viewed our home, our home sorry, not as somewhere that we retreat from the world, but somewhere that we actually re- reach out to the world? Like to get to know the people around us, to offer generosity and hospitality and just to generally be the representation of Jesus in the places that we live. And unlike the Samaritan, we're probably not going to walk out of our homes and find someone bleeding out on the road. But we do live in a pretty broken world at times, don't we? There are loads of people around us feeling really lonely or hurt or empty. Or even us here today, loads of us here will be dealing with different things. And all Jesus is asking of us is that we would be people who would choose to show mercy, who would choose to try and do something in our neighborhoods. And I don't think it needs to look like anything crazy. It just needs to look like us being intentional and and making decisions to do it. And there's a quote on the back of your handouts. You might have seen it by Rosario Butterfield. It's going to come up on the screen. And it says this. It says, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors, they seek out the underprivileged, they know that the gospel comes with a house key. I love that last phrase, the gospel comes with a house key. And what 
she is getting at is that actually one of the most authentic and powerful ways to live out our faith is, is done in the way that we invite people into our home. And so the question, I guess, for all of us here today is do we see our home as somewhere for us to protect and keep people out from or actually as a gift to share and invite people into? Because I think part of the danger of being part of a big church like this is that we see here as the place that everything happens. And there is so much amazing stuff here, like the Alpha launch that Bodders and Sues were talking about earlier on. Like, for a lot of us here, they're probably our neighbours that we need to think, actually, I do know them, like, I've got nothing to lose, why don't I just invite them along? But actually, I also believe that God wants to use us and our homes to transform the streets that we live on. It's not just always about inviting people to stuff, because we actually need to get them to know them first, don't we, if we're ever going to be able to invite them something like Alpha. Like, sometimes it will happen here, and sometimes it should also actually happen in our homes. And it's so easy, isn't it, to fall into the temptation of, oh, well, I'm only here for a few months, or um, I'm out with work a lot at the moment, so there's not really a lot I can do, or I'm a student right now, or at some point we're going to move back to where our parents live, so there's no point really getting too committed here, or we have small children, or, or anything like that. And don't get me wrong, like, seasons in life fluctuate, don't they? And there will be times when this is actually quite easy, and then there'll be times when this is, is really hard. But there will, like we all know it, don't we? There, there will always be so many reasons and excuses and things to put off the really important things in life, to, to put it off. And if we're not careful, years will pass by before we even realize it. And actually, all we have to offer is what we've got in front of us right now, is the places that we live right now, the people that we live next to right now. And I think it would be a really sad situation if, as some of the followers of Jesus in this city, we were too busy for the people that live closest to us. I know I don't want that to be the case. And I also believe that if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you should be one of the best neighbors on your street. And not in any kind of arrogant way or anything like that, but Jesus has kind of told, told us to do it quite a few times. And it should look like something, shouldn't it? Loving people looks like something. And so if we go back to that first question, um, the one of, would your neighbors miss you if you moved? Like, would they notice? And the, the authors of the book that I mentioned earlier on, The Art of Neighboring, um, they were the ones that came up with that little block map that, that we had. And they've surveyed thousands of people about this thing. And they have come to the conclusion, I think this, the flash is going to come up again, that 10% of people can fill in A, the names of like, all their neighbors, that um, only 3% can fill in B, and less than 1% can fill in C for, for the homes that live next to them. And the point of those statistics isn't guilt or, or anything like that. It's, and the point of that map is to inspire us to action in actually a really easy way, to learn names, to, to make an effort, just to say hello to people a little bit more often than we do. And it might mean over the next couple of months you try and invite people around at some point. It might mean you throw a bit of party. Christmas, I know some people will shudder as I mentioned that, but it's not too far away. And that is such a good opportunity to just invite people over and to do something. Or loads and loads of other things. I know just for me personally, I just need to start with something and stick with it and just make the choice to do it. Like joining with Jesus and what he might want to do um, in my block of flats or in your, your street. And it's not always easy. Sometimes you might get rejected. They might not want anything to do with it. But the end goal isn't to just fill in those boxes or to tick a box or anything like that. It's just building friendships 
and loving the people that live closest to us, just as Jesus has asked us to. And so just to, to finish, there's, there's a quote, another quote I'd love to read from a guy called John Tyson. He pastors a church in New York, and this is what it says. What would our love look like if it showed up dozens of times a week in small but profound ways? Meals cooked, prayers prayed, songs sung, scriptures studied, games played, parties thrown, tears shed, reconciliation practiced and resources given? What if we stopped attending community groups and became groups of communities? What if our homes stopped being the places that we hid from the world, but havens to which the world comes for healing? So why don't we, we stand together if you're able to, um, and we're just going to spend a bit of time um, waiting on God and, and, um, and just reflecting a little bit more about this.